0: So we are in a series on James, as Adele said, and she looked at Taming the Tongue last week. And today, we were going to look at sort of peace within the passage that we've been given, but really it's about holiness and godliness. And I have to say that when we look at this passage, it's worth being aware that James is a direct no-pulling-the-punch pull, no teacher. He is challenging, he's hard-hitting, he's uncomfortable at times. And if you don't like this passage, then perhaps you can blame him when you meet him in eternity. But I'm just going to try and do what I can to honor what I think he wants to say to us this morning. And as we look at holiness and godliness, we need to be aware that We are called to be a set-apart people. We're called to be distinct. We're called to look and love and live and learn like Jesus. We're called to behave differently from the world around us. We're called to be set-apart. We're called to be people who choose and pursue holiness. And this isn't about the people to the left or the right of you. Don't compare. Don't think, well, as long as I'm not as bad as a person next to you or as long as I'm better than this person What I want to ask us this morning, what is God asking of us? How is he shaping us and molding us and challenging us? We want to be aware that God wants to speak to us out of love and provoke us and shape us and mold us. And so often we can know God's grace for ourselves but judge one another. But actually, let's not do that. Let's know God's grace for ourselves but also be open to what he wants to say to us individually and as a church. And as I've been preparing and praying, I have to say I've had a sense of heaviness about this because it's just not an easy subject and I want to do two things this morning. I want to honor what I think the passage is saying, honor what I think God wants to say to us, but also do that with love and recognize that God's love, his grace, his care for us is always just incredible and more than we could ever need or desire. So we need to know that, that he loves us and whatever we've been through, whatever we're going through, however broken or hurting or damaged, we feel his love and grace is sufficient for us. Beyond them, before anything he wants from us, we need to know his love and his grace, regardless of what we've done or not done. And as I was praying, I was just reminded of a couple of things really. The first is that when we look at this passage of godliness and what's being required of us, so much of this good good stuff I see within the people here gathered this morning Yes, there's stuff that God's asking more of us to step into. Yes, there's stuff that I can be more increasingly like Jesus, absolutely. But there's so much of this good, rich, Jesus-like life I see modeled in this community, and we need to celebrate that. But the other thing I've just felt as we were praying, and as I spent time walking this morning, just praying through this morning, was just reminded of a quote by, I think it was Dr. Seuss that says, why fit in when you were born to stand out? Why fit in when you were born to stand out? That might seem slightly cheesy, but just aware that as Christians, we're called to be different. We're called to stand out. We're called to a higher level and a higher responsibility. We're called to something greater to follow Jesus. It's the best life. Sometimes we look at it like a, things, a list of things we shouldn't be doing, like expectations. Do this and don't do that. It's a burden. It's pressure. It's expectation. no, 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 no. God wants us to know the best life, he wants to call us into something greater, he wants us to have all we can of him in this life to pursue him and to get to know him in a deep and profound way. And it's really important as we open up this passage that we hear loud and clear that regardless of where we are this morning, his love and grace is sufficient for us and we come to the place of being sharpened and challenged by his word but knowing that his love and grace is very much for us. He affirms each and every one of us. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants a deep, intimate relationship with you. And that's not based on anything you do or don't do. So let's step into James. Let's be ready to have a punch in the gut, as Adele said last week. So James 3, verse 13, to James 4, verse 3. I think it'll be on the screen behind me. So who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit." impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap the harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you, do not, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Or well, happy half-term. But what James is really asking of us is which way do we want to live? Are we going to choose the way of earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom? He's really contrasting these two types of wisdom. He's really saying, look, you're God's people. You're the church in Jerusalem who he's speaking to. Are you going to choose this earthly wisdom or godly wisdom? It's a choice. And every day we have choices, Some big, some small, but we are people who have choices each day. And just to lighten what is going to be a fairly heavy morning together as we look at holiness, I thought we'd just have an opportunity just to make choices now, okay? So very simply, there's going to be two things on the screen, and you are going to pick which one of these is better, okay? So don't think too hard. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to worry about it. Just hand up. If you think ketchup is better than brown sauce, put your hand up. Brown sauce. The correct answer is ketchup, so there we go. The next one. Okay, hands up for Coke. Pepsi. Yep, Coke is the correct answer as so well, then there. The third one. Right, this is really lame, I was a bit rushed yesterday, but sport or music? Nothing provocative about this at all. Okay, so hands up for sport. Hands up for music. Yeah, that's incorrect, unfortunately, guys. <laughs> That's a shame. Okay, so the correct answer is sports. So if you could just be praying to And The last one, and probably the most important one, Mariah Carey or Whitney Houston? Mariah Carey, hands up. Whitney Houston? Okay, just so you know, the correct answer is they are both the best female artists of all time. Okay, so now you know that that's important. Let's get that nonsense out of the way, shall we, and look at the passage. But of course, we have Choices every day, small ones, but we also have much more serious choices. Every day we have choices. Life is really a series of choices. And choices have implications. Our decisions have consequences. And James here really just contrasts this wisdom from above and this wisdom that is earthly. And he basically says to his people in the church in Jerusalem, which one do you want? He contrasts verses 15 and 16 to 17. Let me read it again. Verse 15 and 16, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. The way you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Do you want that wisdom? Do you want that lifestyle? Because remember James talks about wisdom being faith in action, or do you want this lifestyle? If wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Which of these wisdoms are you going to choose? Are we going to choose the earthly wisdom or the wisdom from above? About 12 years ago, Adele and I had a decision to make because we were due to get married and we were asked if we want to be participants in a TV show called How Sex Works. You weren't expecting that, were you? That's woken you up. So... It was different perspectives on relationships, and we were asked to share our perspective and what we thought as Christians about relationships and sex. And we prayed about it, wrestled about it, and decided to go for it. But we took some hits, not least online. We knew that we were going to get some opposition and challenge from it, and we did. It was a hard few weeks, but we just felt, after prayer and conviction, it was right to step out and to show a distinct way. We worked a lot with young people. We wanted to show them an alternative way of living. Are we going to choose the way of heaven or the way of earth? As we did that documentary, this has got nothing to do really with what I'm sharing this morning, but some really funny things happened. The first thing was that they tried to persuade us to take a camera on a honeymoon. We're like, no. <laughs> then they said to that then what happened was my grandma rang me the day after and said, Hello, Andrew. Oh, Hi. Great documentary. That's not really what you want to hear from your grandma, is it? So that was that. And then the third thing that happened, so Adele was walking through Maiden Hill, which is a secondary school. I don't know why I've told you her name, but she was a youth worker at a secondary school. And one of the students shouted down the corridor, Miss, Miss, great job on the sex show last night. And the teachers weren't massively impressed with that. But we did get a lot of flack online. And this passage is really saying, are you going to choose the wisdom from above of God or are you going to choose the wisdom of earth? And James is writing to a church who are amidst persecution, who are infighting, who are living unwise lives, who are choosing the ways of the world. The pressures had got too much. So they were choosing to live this earthly wisdom. And he uses these really quite strong words. Listen to these. He says, Your wisdom is earthly, sensual, and demonic. It's earthly, only this life in view, not an eternal perspective, but looking at this life here and now. It's unspiritual, which can be translated sensual. It's almost animal-like. You're going with your instincts, with your, lush, with, with your lusts, with your fleshly desires. You're choosing that. And it's demonic, inspired by the devil. These are not easy words to hear. He says, are you going to choose this? And the devil's schemes can come with cynicism. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's through kind of... Us being naive to culture around us. The devil doesn't often say, hello, here I am. Often it's much more sinister and much more subtle. He's a dirty fighter. But he's saying, do you want this? Do you want this sensual, demonic, earthly way of wisdom? Or are you going to choose God? And then he talks about the fact that if you choose this earthly wisdom, it leads to jealousy, selfish ambition, and all kinds of evil he talks about. All kinds of evil from choosing this earthly wisdom. When it becomes about us and about our rights and our needs rather than about Jesus, it leads to selfishness, selfish ambition and all kinds of evil. That's the non-wise living. Do you want to choose that? So we need to watch out for that in our own lives. We need to watch out for this wisdom creeping in. That's what James was concerned about. That's what he was speaking to his church about. Be aware and be on guard. He was warning the church, yes, they're amidst persecution, yes, they're amidst opposition, but are you going to run to Jesus or are you going to run away? And as we think about being Christians in the 21st century, we have choices to make. We perhaps need to be more discerning than ever. And it can be hard to discern what is of God. It can be hard to discern what the right thing to do. Things come at us thick and fast. We found that as a senior staff team a couple of years ago, like every week, every month, there's something to engage with, something big that's coming at us thick and fast. But how do we engage with it in a way that honors God? How do we prayerfully discern what's the right way to do? How do we respond as Christians? And the first thing to say is we need to celebrate and call out what's good. Where we see signs of the kingdom in wider society, where we see signs of kingdom in Edinburgh and Scotland, we need to call out the good. Where we see the kingdom advance, we need to call out the good. There's lots of progress, lots of richness, lots of signs of the kingdom coming, and we need to call that stuff out. Let's not just be Christians who criticise and who point out what's wrong and point out the dangers in society. Let's also call out the good, call out the advancements, call out where God is moving in society. But we also need to be aware of the society we're living in and need to be aware of the kind of challenges with that. And broadly speaking, we are in what's known as an autonomous culture. So we're not a theonomous culture and these don't really exist anymore. Some Hindu cultures still have these where basically they feel that God is so ingrained in them, they almost like have response to what God is saying to them automatic and God is guiding and leading them without them really having to respond and almost the Theo, God being in them and then responding automatically through their own ways of doing things Theonomous, we're not that because we don't think, we believe we have free choice and free will The heteronomous cultures, and this still exists where some, at the top a few leaders dictate to the masses, perhaps it's shakes or perhaps it's a more of a dictatorship, but these at the top dictate to the masses about how we live. Well, we don't want that, and that's not how we live. We live in an autonomous culture, where we all have autonomy, where we all have freedom of speech, where we all can have an opinion, and we all have our own moral prerogatives, our own understandings of what's right and what's wrong. Everyone has an opinion, everyone has a perspective, and there's something really healthy and good about that, to listen to one another and be more accepting of each other. And the benefit of this is that we're more loving and more accepting and more open to one another's opinion. But the challenge can come from that is that we can have moral relativism where the moral laws and the things we're subject to are based on our own standpoint, based on what we think is right. Rather than a divine understanding of what God wants from us, what we see in James, it can be down to what I think is right. I can be my God. I can have autonomy over my life. That was the primal temptation for Adam and Eve and it's a primal temptation for us now to want to be our own God. And it can lead to us having fewer moral absolutes. It can lead to us having fewer distinctions and fewer distinctives about how we live. Mark says, a scholar says, a key challenge in a kind of culture like this isn't persecution that might come. And James is talking to a church amidst persecution. He says a key challenge in our time is seductionism, where basically... The different things come at us thick and fast, and we think it's okay to have Jesus plus this, Jesus plus this particular lifestyle, Jesus plus this particular ideology. Jesus isn't the distinct way of living anymore. It can be absorbing amongst other stuff. It's okay to have Jesus, but we want this other stuff around it. So we need to be increasingly discerning, not turning to the world for direction and wisdom, and that's what James is challenging his readers about. When you look at James 4, verse 1 to 3, he's saying, You're turning to a world. It says, ask God. I provide. I give you what you want. I'm the all-consuming God who gives you everything you possibly need. Ask me for wisdom. Don't covet and fight, but turn to me. He encourages us to ask him. If we don't have wisdom, he says, ask me. That is a key part of James. Ask me for that wisdom. So, we have to ask God to help us discern, help us understand what is right for my life, what is right for our lives. If you want wisdom, turn to God, he says. Choose to ask him, choose to pursue his wisdom and his ways. Are we willing to ask God? Are we willing to come to him and say, God, show me, let me discern what is of you and what is not? David in the psalm says, search me and know my anxious thoughts. David, with all his sin and brokenness, was still open to God, correcting him, open to God, speaking to him. I find it mad but we can easily hide from God. We can easily hide from God, the God of the universe, the God who creates everything. Yet we somehow want to hide from him. We should be open to him, correcting us and convicting us. We don't really like being told what to do by anyone. So we don't really embrace and encourage correction. And that actually comes to our relationship with God. We don't want to be corrected and challenged by God. It can become could, not should. Rather than I should do this, rather than I should be this. It's, well, I could do this or I could do that. It becomes could, not should. We need to look to Jesus for correction. We need to look for Jesus for discernment. I think God's grace is such that He honors our journey. He honors us coming to him with an open heart. As we come to him, I think he honors that. I think he honors the fact that we are open-hearted before him. And I also think his grace is such that he often deals with one or two things at a time rather than going through everything that's wrong with us. His grace is sufficient. Why do we come to him to be open-hearted and open-minded to what he wants to do so we can be more like him, so we can look and love and learn and live more like Jesus? Let's ask God, let's be open before God. Let's be open to him speaking to us in our consciences. Let's be open to us being open to him correcting us and rebuking us. A friend of mine once said, any grey area is really a black area. And that always stuck with me. And what he was basically saying is so often we know what the right thing to do is, but we try and make it out to be a grey area. Our consciences say to us, actually, this is wrong. This is not God's best. But we choose to make it lukewarm. We choose to make it acceptable. Ask God for correction. Ask God to show you the way. Ask God to have discernment in your life. Where is he trying to correct you? Where is he trying to correct us? Where is he trying to shape and mold us? And then we see in this passage what this wisdom looks like, what this wisdom from above looks like. This is a key part of our discernment. Is this what the fruit looks like? When we make these decisions, when we act and respond, when we love in this particular way, is this what we're seeing? A love that is pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And notice how James doesn't really tell us how to live. He talks about our character. He talks about how we relate to one another. He talks about how we behave He doesn't really walk about the actions. He doesn't say do this and do that. He talks about a heart before him. And in these statements, they're positioned in a certain way. James hasn't accidentally just grouped them. He's positioned them in a certain way because it's a kind of Greek poetry. And he's aligned them in a certain way that helps us understand the the order. And the first one he's put is purity a morally pure life to be fully devoted before God. That's the first thing we need to note. And this doesn't just include sexual purity, but that's part of it. To have pure lives, to be open before him, to be transparent, to be people of integrity and godliness who want to have purity. To be peace-loving, this isn't a peace that avoids conflict. It's right to disagree, it's right to challenge one another, but it's a peace that pursues unity, a peace that pursues to be peacemakers. The same word that's used here is the word that Jesus used to talk about pursuing peace and it's taken from his Sermon on the Mount. As Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. It talks about this peace that comes from God, the shalom peace. I call on earth is to bring the shalom peace to each and every area of society, to be bringing peace into situations, to be pursuing peace, to be peace-loving, to be considerate, to prefer one another. It's not about winning and losing, it's about serving Christ when it makes it about us when it's about preferring our ideas that's when jealousy and strife creeps in that's when all these kind of evil creep in but no no he says pursue him it's submissive it's humble it's willing to learn it's willing to be teachable he's talking to churches who are infighting where leaders are fighting, where they're arguing but he's saying have humility to listen have humility to submit and he talks about the mercy and good fruit. The signs of this will lead to mercy and good fruit. It's wisdom in action. It's a lifestyle. Not just empty words. You can see the impact as you understand how it is to live and behave. It leads to good fruit. It leads to action and charity. That's what James is all over in his book of James. That the way we live matters. Our relationship with God impacts how we live. How we relate to God affects how we live Monday to Friday. It matters. To be impartial, consistent character, to have integrity. Integrity comes from a word, integer, which means wholeness, not to be in church doing one thing and to be in the workplace doing another, to be relating to our family in a different way. It means to be whole in our character, not double lives, but to have consistent character. To be sincere, to not have consistency, but to be straightforward, not an agenda, but to follow God, the audience of one, not double minded. To be sincere in all we do, to wholeheartedly go after what He calls us to. That's what He's asking of us. That's what his fruit looks like to be pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's the wisdom from above. That's the wisdom that we're called to. That's the wisdom that shows the world a different way. As he changes our heart, it changes how we live. It affects our behavior. affects how we relate to one another. It affects how we live in the outside world. In verse 13, he says, Show this by your good life. Your good life shows your relationship with God. And the word for righteousness in this passage, it talks about being right before others. It means right living, right before God, which is the same word for justice. It says the same. The, the two words go hand in hand. You relate to others with a way that pursues justice, a way that pursues a kingdom advance. We're called to show a different way. We're called to be distinct. We're called to choose this wisdom of above, not this wisdom of earth. That's what he's asking of his church to stand out and to not give in, to show a different way, to pursue righteousness. What am I going to choose? What are we going to choose? I have to say in the last year or so, I felt really burdened by the church in the UK because I think it's a pivotal time to be wrestling with this and saying, am I willing to commit to Jesus no matter what the cost? Am I willing to pursue his ways no matter what the distractions? Am I willing to go after what he has for my life regardless of the cost and the implications? It's time to stand out and stand up for what we believe in. It's time to show a different way because the word here for goodness is kalos, which means attractive and appealing and Means lovely and appealing to the outside world. It attracts people in. That's a word that James has used. As we pursue this life, as we show this different way, others see the goodness and grace of Jesus in our lives. It's what allows the kingdom to advance. It's a better story. It shows a different witness, not fitting in, but standing out. Are we the distinct people? Are we? Showing the world out there, Jesus, through how we live, how we interact, how we love this city. Absolutely. But I also believe God's calling us into more. Tozer famously said this, really hard-hitting, really provocative, but I think it's helpful. Christianity has been watered down until the solution is so weak that if it were poison, it would not hurt anyone. If it were a medicine, it would not cure anyone. I mean, you kind of... It's brilliant words, but it's also chilling, isn't it? Let me read it again. Christianity has been watered down until the solution is so weak that if it were poison, it would not hurt anyone. If it were medicine, it would not cure anyone. Holiness means different. That's the definition of holiness, to live a different life, to show a different way. The story of God's people is they're constantly called to show the world around them a different life. The Ten Commandments were missional by nature. They were meant to show the world around them why God was at the center of their community, at the center of their living. It was meant to show the world around them the light of God. All revivals, all moves of God, when you look through church history, start with prayer and start with holiness. Alpha courses are brilliant. Missional communities are fantastic. Sharing Jesus at workplace, is important, absolutely. But when you see the revival, it's when people get down on their knees and say, God, revive me first. Revive my heart first. Revive us first. All revivals start with personal holiness. Not about others. In Joshua 3, verse 5, when Joshua was entering the promised land, he says, God says to consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, do amazing things. It doesn't say consecrate others, it says consecrate yourselves. Not consecrate the people next to me, consecrate me first. Not consecrate the world around us. Yes, absolutely, we need to speak into it. We need to challenge it. We need to speak into the structure around us, absolutely. But first and foremost, we need to consecrate ourselves because tomorrow God will do amazing things. The story of the early church is where they were distinctive and showed a different way. But church grew at an explosive rate. I'm reading a book by a guy called Creed about the early church and what's remarkable is I said this before there was no real mission strategy over 300 years they've narrowed it down to about three sermons on mission and absolutely we have a privilege and responsibility to share Jesus don't hear me say anything else but what's really important is that the only thing they can narrow it down to was when the gladiators were killing them in arenas they were there saying we're praying for our persecutors we're standing together as brothers and sisters in Christ when people were treating them poorly they were still loving when people were Abusing and terrorizing those in society, they were standing up for a downtrodden. That's the different way. And the church grew exponentially because they were distinct, because they were different. What James was teaching about mattered. This first church, this mother church, had incredible results because of this hard hitting teaching. We're called to be salt and light, to flavor culture and to fertilize culture, which means our relationships with one another matter, our sex lives matter, how we spend our money matters. We're called to love this city, but let's show them Jesus at the heart of who we are. We're called to family, but let's show the world how we relate to each other through godly family, and ultimately let's pursue Jesus in every area of our church life. That's what James is doing here. He's saying there's a ways of the world which might be tempting, which might be appealing, but don't choose them. Pursue holiness. Pursue me. Pursue full relationship with God. Pursue a relationship with Jesus. You can't outgive God. Choose the ways of above. Choose holiness. In a moment, Adele's going to lead us into communion, but we need to remember that the cross of Christ does two things, not one. Absolutely allows us to know the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, eternity with Jesus. Absolutely but it also allows us to live a holy life here and now, here on earth. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, because he's conquered the death and resurrection, we can choose and are able to live holiness here and now. Which way are we going to choose? Are we going to be distinct people? Are we going to stand out and not fit in? Are we going to choose to step in when the culture around us tries to pull us in all directions? Are we going to choose to discern culture and say, actually, no, I'm not willing to engage with that because that is not of Jesus. Let's be people who choose wisdom from above. Let me pray for us. Lord, I think I've convicted myself this morning this is not easy. Pray for each and every one of us that where yeah, pray first and foremost we would right now just know an overwhelming sense of your presence and your love. We thank you that even your correction, even your challenge always comes from love. It always comes through a medium of love. And we pray right now that you would just fill this place with your love and your goodness. But Lord, I want to pray for two things. I pray where you want us to search our hearts. I pray we'd be open to that sharpening, that correction. Where you're calling us into a distinct life to follow you in a more pure and holy way. I pray we'd be open to that. But Jesus, I also pray that we'd have the courage to step into this, the courage to show a different way, the courage to choose holiness. I pray that Central Church would be known across this city and nation as a people who choose holiness, who are people who stand out. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.